So our old way of doing business is that we expect people to come to us and come to public hearings. And the heart and soul approach goes out to community members on their turf. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and this is the latest in a series of podcasts recorded at the 2017 New Partners for Smart Growth Conference in St. Louis, Missouri. Our topic today is the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Approach, a barn-raising approach to community development and revitalization. My guest today is Jane LaFleur, Senior Consultant at Lyft360. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. So, Jane, I'd like to give our audience a little understanding of who our guests are. And uh, so, could you tell me how you, what interests you about community development and how you got involved in doing community development work? Sure. I'm a city planner by training, and I've been involved with communities since about 1980, when I got out of graduate school. And I really started to care about how communities grow and change and how people take leadership positions in communities to make a difference. And so I've worked as a city planner, but I also have run a nonprofit organization, a smart growth organization. And really, for the past 20 or 30 years, uh, I've been working with many different very small communities, everything from four populations of 400 to 40,000. So I love watching communities wrestle with tough decisions, and I love watching young people get engaged in communities because we need more of that. We need new young people to take over our, our roles as we get older. So, so what are the big economic challenges in Maine? Well, well, Maine is a very poor state, and it's an aging state, so we need to attract new young people to our communities. We also have some very traditional industries like the pulp and paper mills that are moving out or closing, so there's a lot of economic challenges in, in the communities. Also, we're a rural state, so there's not a lot of public transportation. It's There are only a few very large cities that have the kinds of services that a lot of people look for and need as they get older. So, you know, it's a challenge to figure out how to fund the kinds of things people need and, you know, make sure that people age in place in a healthy manner. And also we, we, as a lot of rural states do, we tend to lose young people. So we try to make it, make sure that there are good conditions for them to come back. Personally, I think it's great for young people to move on and move out, but we always hope they come back to take leadership roles in our communities. Fantastic. So our topic is barn ra- a barn-raising approach to community wealth, community heart and soul. Let's, so let's, let's take that kind of one piece at a time. What is community wealth? Community wealth is not necessarily cash. It's not necessarily money. It's all the things that make up your community, and it's the assets in your community. It's who's living in your community. It's the social fabric of the community. It's whether you have engaged people, whether you have people 
making tough decisions and helping to grow that community. So it's the kind of softer things in many ways. Uh, softer, but things that make that life possible absolutely. and worthwhile. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about a barn raising approach to community mm-hmm. wealth. What does that mean? So if I could back up a little bit, the Orton Family Foundation developed a program starting in about 2008. The Orton Family Foundation is they are the founders of the Vermont Country Store, if you've ever heard of that um, mm-hmm. online and, and uh, in communities. There's a old country store. And Lyman Orton, who's the founder of the, the country store with his sons, started, he cares deeply about small towns and how they grow and change. So he funded the Orton Family Foundation to assist small communities in making decisions about their own future based on what matters most. So the Community Heart and Soul program and process is in many towns across the United States, and it's a community development program that is an 18-month to two-year process to engage community members through a storytelling method to find out what matters most to them and what they care about. And then based on those stories and the themes that we hear from the stories, we learn about what people value in their communities. And the feeling is that if if we start making decisions in our communities based on what people really care about, rather than what we think they might care about, we'll be making longer lasting, um, acceptable decisions to the people that live there. And in, in the process of going through this program and process, more and more people get engaged and they come out of the woodwork. And it is a real barn raising approach because people take charge of their own community. It's a bottom up kind of grassroots building process. Fantastic. What a novel idea to actually talk to people about what they want yeah. rather than bringing them what you think they need. Yeah. So the heart and soul approach, is that? Yeah, the, the approach is outlined on the Orton Family Foundation website and with lots of free materials. It doesn't cost anything for someone to take on this process. They don't charge. There are some costs as you're running the process. You need to fund a coordinator to help keep all the ducks in a row and keep all the activities in line so you know who's doing what. But it's an 18-month to two-year, four-phase process. It starts with identifying who's in your community and who, who are the connections in the community. Often some never really think about all the organizations and groups and individuals that are making that community function. And it doesn't mean just government. It means, you know, nonprofit organizations and the knitting club and the men that meet at McDonald's every morning and, you know, Religious for a cup of coffee and then faith organizations. Absolutely. So one of the first steps is to identify who's in the community and how to reach them. You know, if you find that you have folks in your community that you don't normally hear from, they don't go to a public hearing, they don't, they're not the naysayers in the community or the people that are always at a public event, we find ways to find out who they are and where they are and how and ask them to tell us their story and then it's through the storytelling process that we find out what they care most about fantastic so how long have you been doing this heart and soul yeah. approach it's not the only thing i do but i started my association with the orton family foundation back in 2008 when the town of damascotta maine on the coast of maine decided Uh, that they wanted to get involved with the Orton Family Foundation in this process. It was new. It was just designed at that time. And and since then, we've really, it's evolved to a more defined process where people know what works 
Um, we tried a lot of things that may not have worked as well in the early days, and now you know, there's so many good examples of communities across the country that have tried different methods to engage people in the community. Fantastic. So how's it going? Is it? It's great. Uh, tell us a success story. Yeah. Tell us. Let me tell you about Gardner, Maine. Gardner is a small town located near the capital of Maine, Augusta, Maine, and they were concerned about their main street. They really wanted to bring businesses back into town. They wanted young people to stay, um, and they went through a community heart and soul process. They listened to the stories of dozens and dozens and dozens of people and came up with, I think it was eight or ten heart and soul values that represent their community. Everything from family friendliness to small town feel to an engaged community, and many others, and the importance of education, the importance of the downtown, it's all of those things. And as a result of that process, the city council has the values on the wall in the room and when they make, in the city council chambers, and when they make decisions, they consider those community values. They make investment decisions, policy decisions, and they reflect on their community values. Does this uphold our community values? One of the things that came out of the heart and soul process was a list of 80 or 90 action items that people said during the storytelling process, this would make Gardner a better place. We need, and there, was, there were dozens and dozens of ideas, everything from a dog park to walking trails to more investments downtown to window boxes on Main Street, little things to big, big things. And that action plan was evaluated by community members all those items were evaluated as to whether they had a high, medium, or low impact and a high, medium, or low feasibility. For instance, one idea was a skateboard park, and that might have a very high impact on your teenagers in town. But in that case, the feasibility of that happening was fairly low because there wasn't land, there was not a leadership team, there wasn't funding, those sorts of things. So that might fall to later on when the, um, the ducks line up. On the other hand, one of the ideas was trail connections along the river, and as a result of that high impact, high feasibility, they were able to receive funding for additional trail connections. Since that time, more young people have become engaged in because they were involved early on through storytelling, so they've become engaged in uh, government. One young woman who was the heart and soul coordinator and a young mom became part of the recreation committee and took a leadership role in the community. So it's kind of a, a, a way of growing new leaders that might not want to go to a selectman's media meeting or city council meeting early on, just if you invite them to a meeting. But if you get them engaged in other ways, then they see the value of getting involved in those decision-making bodies later on. Yeah, I think communities, a lot of communities have problems getting people engaged. And I think the reason is because that engagement in the past has been less than productive or, or worth their time. So yep, you, you go to meetings and... Um, there's a very small turnout in a lot of yeah, meetings. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our old way of doing business is that we expect people to come to us and come to public hearings. And the heart and soul approach goes out to community members on their turf. Another quick example, if I might, is uh, in the town of Damascata. We went out and reached out into the community. We set up storytelling booths in the library, and people went door to door and met with people around their kitchen table over a cup of coffee. And we heard stories about what 
people care about. And an example is uh, this one older gentleman was concerned about, and we never knew this until we listened to him, who is going to wind the clock in the church tower, the town clock in the church tower, when he's gone. And he was really concerned because he had no trainee or person that was going to take over that job, and it worried him. We had no way of knowing that, but that was one of his biggest concerns. And as a result, uh, a young person was trained by him to learn how to do this, so he felt a lot better about life. And in that town, as a result of Heart and Soul, there's now a, this sounds like very simple little things, but a mailing list that the town manager sends out to community members if they want to know what's going on in town you know, when the snow plowing is going to occur and there's no parking, you know, if there's a parking ban, all those things that you used to have to go to a website and find out what's going on. Instead, you can get an email saying once a week or once every two weeks, this is what's going on in town. So the town is coming to you rather than you having to dig through a website. The town manager also had uh, office hours at a coffee shop on Friday morning. How many town managers are having coffee that you can sit and just chat with a town manager about what's going on in town and kind of an open office at a coffee shop. So those kinds of things become institutionalized of a different way of doing business in the community. That is so fantastic. I think, I think so many of us, I think there's a lot of disconnect between government and the people. You know, government folks who are working really hard and members of the public not thinking that the government is doing anything. And, Absolutely. And that conversation, that dialogue just is yeah. probably amazing. Yeah, and the, uh, the other piece is that it, this isn't just about government. This is about what communities can do for themselves. And again, back to Gardner, one of the things they found out or they realized was that the nonprofit organizations and community organizations and informal groups were keeping that town humming. And so they formed a, a group called the Duct Tape Council. And the Duct Tape Council is a consortium of nonprofit organizations that they realized they were tapping each other's volunteer lists and they were, you know, wearing people out. So instead they started to coordinate when events were occurring. They were either making sure that they coordinated well time-wise so that people could serve in multiple ways or, you know, they didn't wear everybody out. So a lot of the actions in the action plan became organizational things, not what government can do for you, not something that raises your tax dollars, but instead it was, you know, we can put window boxes on Main Street. It sounds like a simple thing, but it really raises the self-esteem of that community, and it might be the garden club that does it, and it might be a $200 grant that gets them started or something like that from another foundation. So sometimes it doesn't take much. It's that it really is a barn-raising approach. Yeah, and, and that's fantastic. I think that my, my point was that governance is really nothing more than people coordinating with each other to make the quality of life in their community better right. and more effective, right? Right. So at some level, in some places, somehow we've outsourced that, right? So it could be, you could do governance with just all volunteers. Sure, right? sure. Theoretically, right? But right. sometimes it's more efficient to pay a little money and have somebody professional do it or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just love that approach of whether it be the groups coming together and coordinating their activities in a way that creates efficiencies, yeah. or whether it be the town manager having coffee with the citizens so that you have that direct connection that yes. this is not this this government is not something different from us. It is this us. is our representation. This yes. is our government. Right? Yes. So yeah. I love that yeah. aspect. How can folks learn more about your work? There's a great website. It's Orton.org. 
And then uh, my organization is lift360.org. There are many other organizations that are involved with this from communities across the country. One of the things we talked about in our panel was how inclusive this process is. You really reach out into the community and find out who lives there, and you make sure that your decisions are representative of your community. So there's a deep, intentional method to find out who are the voices in your community and make sure you engage those people. So on the Orton website, there's a list of all the communities, a snapshot of what's happening in the communities and the other organizations that might be in, involved in that community. In Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Humanities Council is actually uh, helping to fund some of these communities that want to do a community heart and soul process. And I'm uh, considered a heart and soul coach and a champion, so I can take phone calls and assist communities uh, if they need assistance. Fantastic. So if I'm in the state of Maine, I probably want to go to the lift 360, yeah. Lift360.org. Yeah. If I'm at, not in another state, I could go to the Orton.org, or yeah. I could Google the Heart and Soul Process Pennsylvania, yeah. for Absolutely. example. Absolutely. And, you, and I might find a local organization yes. that's doing yes. that kind of work. And there are a lot of communities out west. The initial communities starting in 2008 were in the Colorado area. So there are other communities out there. I think there are 20 or 30 or more examples of communities that are, are at some stage of the process or have completed this 18-month to two-year process. Fantastic. You talked about it's not, you know, community wealth is not money. Is this an economic development process in some level? Well, I call it a community development process, which is also partly economic development. We're finding that it leads to economic, greater economic development. This town of Biddeford, Maine, Great kind town. of an old industrial. Have you been there? I have. Yes, yeah. A, an old Biddeford Pool is one Biddeford, of the most yeah. beautiful places. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I know it's an old industrial town. They have seen a lot more investment in their community, and the economic development duck. Uh, director Daniel Stevenson said it is, he attributes it to community heart and soul. And a lot more people are saying you know, heart and soul is a way of finding out what matters most to our communities. It is embedded in our community's voices and the values of our community members and how can we make decisions uh, about our community until we know what people care most about. Otherwise we may be spending money that is in areas that is not what they care about. And you know, as a community leader, I would certainly want to know, not just, I don't want to listen to only the loudest voices in the room, but I want to make sure that I hear the people that don't always come to those meetings and, and integrate those voices into decision making. Fantastic. In the work that we do, we talk a lot about economic development requires a lot of different forms of capital. Yeah. So we tend to focus on the financial capital or the physical capital, like the new plant, the new facility, yeah. the new factory, but social capital. This is the social capital. Right. Social yeah. capital piece is really, you know, the, the ability of people to work together, that trust that people have with each other. And because of that really strong social capital, then you really tap into the human capital. Right. Right. And for a lot of places, that that is, they don't have access to financial capital. Right. So now you got to think, how am I going to improve the quality of this place? How am I going to improve the economy? And you really have to focus on that social yeah. capital. I mean, it's really about asset-based planning, and part of that is the social capital and the, and the people in your community. And when people know what they value and what matters most, you know, then organizations and businesses 
are attracted to that community because they have their act together. And this is a way of getting your act together, getting your community to state who they are, what they want, what, you know, what they represent. And um, it opens the door for change. It doesn't mean it's stagnant, but it, it helps you grow in a direction that you, that you as a community want to. Fantastic. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much for the great work that you do. Thank you. Maine is such a wonderful state. Anything we can do to help the state of Maine, we're all All right. Good. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.